The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. All right, so usually we uh, like to start these shows out a little bit uh, lively, a little bit happy, but, you know, we're not going to do that tonight. I'm pissed off. Destin's pissed off. I feel like murdering someone. Um, You know what? Destin, let's jump into it, man. This is the Blue Stable Podcast, official podcast of Fansided. Shout out Fansided. All right, let's get back into it. All right, man. All right, so we started out one and four. Okay, I'm sorry if my voice sounds a little off um you know crazy night tonight not sure if you've been living under a rock but in Colts fashion epic collapse in the second half we were leading at what 25 to 3 25 to 9 and end up losing 31 to 25 that good old Matt Eberflus defense back at it once again uh Dustin Adams talk to us man how are you doing at midnight on Monday night Man, I mean, we, we waited. We waited to to start the show. I, I wanted to watch all these pressers, um, hear some of their reactions. The guy seemed sad. There, there was some anger here and there. Um, I know I wasn't going to get an angry Frank Reich presser. I know that's not what we're ever going to get. He's very composed in those environments. What he's like behind closed doors, we're never going to know his reaction when he went in the room. But as a whole, he – stayed pretty calm and collected um, admitted some faults he saw in the game on his part um, admitted some faults of some reasonings um, of some situational things that kind of went down in the game for sure. But I, I hate leading in the NFL. I do. I hate it. I get, I get more nervous watching the Colts have a big lead early in a game than I do with if the Colts go down big in the first half. I do. I hate it. I just don't think it's ever sustainable um, with the defensive scheme that we run. Um, I think the scheme is built to allow teams to come back personally, um, especially when you're just giving a bigger reason to be more conservative, but we'll get more into that later. I, I think overall, if you had to ask me one word to describe this loss, it's heartbreaking. Uh, this team put themselves in position to be a two and three football team after some awful luck this first half of the season um, where we have been put in position where the team just, whether it's injury related, whether it's coaching staff, not calling the correct game plan, 
they've not really put themselves in the greatest situations to win games. So when you're in this position against a, a good Baltimore Ravens team, against a good quarterback in Lamar Jackson, it's heartbreaking not to be able to put this one away, man. It's it, it's heartbreaking. Look, man, uh, first off, I just want to uh, give credit to our guy, Dave Steinweddle. Uh, if that bet would have gone down, he would have won that bet. Hey, he should have taken it. Pass, hey, Lamar Jackson passed for about 400 yards, three touchdowns, three or four or whatever the case was. But if that bet would have gone down, he would have won that one. Uh, and what you said on Thursday, Destin, I mean, you said you would feel comfortable if you lost that game knowing Lamar beat you with his arm rather than his legs, and that's exactly what happened. I think the Colts did an okay job of uh, of containing Lamar Jackson. There were a couple of points in this in this game where you could just sit in on your couch and know what was coming. By the way, this defense lined up. I mean, everybody was in man-to-man. They were showing blitz, leaving the middle of the field wide open on so many third downs. And easy, I mean the most easiest throws Lamar ever has to make in his life to a literally a five-yard slant to a wide open player we'll get into this stuff more guys but the Colts are one and four um it's time it's time to hit the panic button me personally I'm not saying that as an overreaction I did say before the Miami game if we went 0-2 it's time to hit it even if we went one and one it's time to hit it um especially the way we lost this game Emotions are high. How is this team going to respond? We still got a good San Francisco team in the next couple of weeks. You would think we can handle Houston, but after what they just did to the Patriots, who knows? I mean, maybe the Patriots aren't even that good either. But uh, we we definitely got to talk about this game here tonight, man. But before we do that, Destiny, you got a special uh, message for us? Before we get into the good, the bad, and the ugly from this loss tonight, this next subject, this next topic is brought to you guys by One Call Technology. One Call Technology is a managed telecom service provider whose senior staff has 100 plus years of, of experience in virtually every aspect of business communications, business phone system installation and services, managed telecom service provider, telecom carrier management, and high speed internet. Head on over to One Call's website at www.onecalltech.com or give them a call at 888. 888- 585-8850 and tell them the blue stable sent you just to comment a little bit on the panic button idea though i don't know i don't know if i'd call myself an optimist i don't know if that's where i would put me in category wise um but i i'm not in that area of hitting a panic button this this loss sucked um how teams respond to these kind of losses, I will tell you um, if I hit the panic button after I see how they respond to this, I guess. But the position that I'm in, from what I've seen from Tennessee, I, I'm not scared of the Titans. I'm not in the AFC South race. I do think the way to the playoffs in the AFC South right now is winning the division. It's not looking for that wild card. Oh. Um, so do you think this is a 2020 NFC East situation we're in? Um, I don't know if I go that bad. Um, I, don't, I, I don't. I don't know if the records of any. I still think the team that wins the AFC South is going to be a ten-win um, football team at the very minimum. Uh, so I don't know if I go that bad, but I, I just don't think 
you should bet on a wild card spot. Um, I think you should go for the division. Um, that Titans game is going to be a must win. Um, I think it'll be the first actual must win that I've put on the calendar for the year. Um, but the panic button to me, I mean, if the schedule wasn't going to get considerably easier from here on out, uh, I mean, we'll see what this 49er game looks like. It's going to be in prime time in a couple of weeks, and we don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be like there. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what that looks like. But I'm not ready to hit the panic button, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm mad. Don't get me wrong. I've, I've <laughs> spent the last few hours just fuming a little bit. But I'm not ready to hit the panic button. I don't know why. Um, I just have okay. some sense of optimism from watching today's game. The offense, the offensive line play today, we're going to get into all these reasons um, of the good, the bad, and the ugly here. But I did see some signs of life from areas on this team that we hadn't seen throughout the first part of the season here. But I'll let, I'll let you take over. Hey, look, into- look, look, look. You, you definitely highlighted it. And the first thing that's good that we're going to jump into is Carson Wentz. He probably easily had the best game of the year tonight. Uh, some will say the best game of his career. In terms of yards, 402 yards, a 128.5 rating as a quarterback, definitely high. Uh, he, de- I still think there's some struggles with him pre-snap that I've highlighted before. Um, you know, there was a couple of blitzes that he did not identify pre-snap. He didn't allow the tight end or let his running back pick up on an RPO or a play action, and it, and it resulted in, in a in a bad result on that play. But Carson Wentz definitely had, I'm not even going to mention that stuff or I, I'm already mentioned it, but I'm not even going to dig into that. He missed maybe a couple throws, but going 25 of 35 is very efficient. 402 yards. I mean, Carson Wentz was good tonight. He lost. Am I going to put on Carson Wentz? He was very good. He was quick with his passes. Some of the passes that he even threw the, the corner route, to Moali Cox down the sideline. I mean, that was such a perfectly good pass. It, it floated over the defenders the way it needed to. Uh, I mean, I can't say enough about Carson, man. He was not a problem tonight. He definitely brought the energy. He brought his game on prime time. And unfortunately, it resulted in us getting bears. But I won't have too much to say about the good, to be honest with you, man. Yeah, I mean, Carson, in my opinion, has not been the issue in almost every game other than Tennessee where he was playing at, I am, I might even go to say 40% um, efficiency level, um, just didn't look like himself. Um, I think today was his best game for sure, um, especially um, throwing mechanics-wise. Um, pre-snap, there were still some issues, like you said. But he put this he put this team in position to win. That was the issue going into the season. We didn't know what we were going to see from Carson. Was he going to take away from this offense? Was he going to add to this offense? I, I think he's added. Um, Carson wins today, who – and you could probably make the argument he's still in around that 75% um, health-wise with these ankles. Threw for 402 yards, two touchdowns, had one fumble loss after just an awful – awful rep by Eric Fisher on a blindside sack. I mean, I don't know what we expected him to do. He went 10 for 10 on throws beyond 10 yards. 
everyone's been complaining about the big play um, capability of this offense. Carson Wentz showed today that he can do it, and he's willing to do it. Frank Reich pulled it out of his bag and said he's willing to let this team go downfield, and it worked today. Um, Now, was the deep touchdown to Pittman a bad throw? Yes. Probably. It was a double coverage. And we're going to get into Pittman a little bit later who is going to end up getting um, that you got Moss award for the week. I'm sure um, after the touchdown, especially after that catch, but Carson put this team in position to win. Carson went toe to toe with Lamar Jackson on Lamar Jackson's best throwing night ever. Um, I I don't think that's a hot take. Um, I think that's just plain as day um, that he was able to have that. Carson went toe to toe with him 25 for 35. Um, He took two sacks. Um, I think the, there were times that the offensive line let him down a little bit where there could have been more, and he got out of those plays and used his legs that are still not at 100%. Carson Wentz put this team in position to win. Um, so if you leave this game and you don't believe he deserves to be in the good category from this one, I, I just I just don't know what to tell you. Hey, Carson Wentz was good tonight, but you know who else was good? Especially if you're in fantasy, Jonathan Taylor. 15 carries, 53 yards, three receptions, 116 receiving yards, two touchdowns, one in receiving and rushing. I mean, that that play uh, on the first drive of the game, that breakaway speed, Jonathan Taylor definitely had a, a great game. Um, Production-wise, that's obviously what you want. I mean, we've been asking, saying we need players, we need game-changing players. Well, you have one, and he put that on display. Um, there were a couple of runs, I will say, uh, I can't remember. Oh man, everything happened so quick in a flash, but I do remember, I believe it was like a second and four. He picked up the four yards, but he completely ignored to the right. He could have bounced it outside and picked up maybe 10 or more yards. It was wide open. It was completely wide open. Um, but other than that, Jonathan Taylor had one hell of a game receiving pass blocking, especially he picked up a pretty good, a few good, uh, blocks, uh, on blitzes here and there. So again, not much to say for me, Jonathan Taylor balled out. Um, maybe you could say, oh, why didn't he get more touches? Well, Baltimore was kind of clamping down on a couple of plays. So you're not just going to all out just go to the run, especially with the way this receiving core was in motion. Carson Wentz was throwing the football again. No, no. Uh, what, what, what's the word I'm looking for? No complaints for me on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Destin, where are you at with Jonathan Taylor? Yeah. Some people argue because Jonathan Taylor didn't average for a carry that he doesn't deserve to be in this, but man, dude is a weapon. Um, when he took that screen to the house on third and 15, I don't remember the time a time that the Colts picked up a third and long like that in a long time. Um, I, I commented last week on how Tennessee is probably one of the best third and long offenses in football because it's ridiculous how often I see them pick up these third and longs. Um, so for him to not only take the screen like that, but split the defenders like he did and just go straight to the house, the dude's a playmaker. Um, the only reason he ends up being under four a carry on the on the day, to be honest, is because they stacked the box heavy um, on those last couple of drives to try to get keep the Colts from running the clock out um, and force field goals, um, which obviously didn't end up well for the offense in those moments. But 
Taylor's a weapon, man. He, he killed it out there tonight. He He's a special type of back, um, even if it's not just running the ball. He, he came into the league with people saying he was going to be a liability in the past game. And from the moment he steps, he stepped on the field in the pros, he's been utilized there. Um, his coaches don't ha- haven't seen that, um, and they use him when they can. I don't, I don't know how you can come away from this game with a negative for Jonathan Taylor, I guess, because he only had 53 yards. But, again, they were stacking the box heavy those last couple of drives. Hard to fault the guy for that. But it was a good day to have Jonathan Taylor on my fantasy team needing him to get big on a Monday night. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. You had Taylor and Pittman, right? You got about and 50 so points. This is the opposite way, too, but I needed 67 points from Andrews, Pittman, and Taylor. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but just, let's just say I won. Yeah, you, you won that. You won that. Um, and, and that is good that you highlighted Jonathan Taylor. A lot of people questioned his pass-catching abilities. I even remembered – in the lead up to the draft, especially at the combine, there was a big, you know, big news about Jonathan Taylor having to show and prove that he can pass catch in those drills that were at the combine. I remember that sitting down and watching it. Um, But moving on here, of course, I'm happy about this. I said it in the game, get the ball to Pittman. And what do you know, when you get the ball to him, good things happen. What was it? The first drive of the second half, Carson Wentz lets it rip downfield. Michael Pittman jumps over, what, two defenders and just takes it to the house. Takes it to the house, six receptions, 89 yards for a touchdown. He definitely helped me win my fantasy league. I mean, I only needed like .8 points. I ended up getting 20.81. So, hey, it was never really a game to begin with. But um, shout out, Lucas. Good game to you. Um, Look, man. I I keep saying it. I feel like I sound funny because of how my voice is, but I'm going to keep praising it, man. Michael Pittman was just big time. He was big time. He made big throws. The the run blocking by this man tonight. I don't know about you, Destin, but I thought Pittman's uh, run blocking was a little bit more physical tonight. I thought it was. He was getting hands on some guys. He was moving them out the way, especially, especially, I don't know, I don't know if Pittman was on that screen to Taylor. I believe it was Doolin who was out there on the left side. It was him and Pascal, and I got to give both of them credit. Both of them locked up their blocks, and you've given Doolin his credit the whole time in this offense about being a blocker, one of the best, if not the best, on the team. He he showed it right there, both of them. Pittman, the blocking from Pittman, Pascal, and Doolin tonight was great. This receiving core is starting to get into a groove. They're starting to get – that uh, momentum, that confidence going, especially tonight. But, man, Michael Pittman is the story. He's the guy. He's the man. Of course, I've been saying it. Get the ball to him. I'm glad to say it, but on a night like this, I can't be happy about it. Yeah, I mean, that's four straight games with at least six catches uh, for Michael Pittman, six catches for 89 yards tonight with the touchdown, obviously. Just a beautiful play on what I said earlier. was not a good throw by Carson. Um, He – Believed in Pittman, gave him a chance to make a play, and boy, did he make a play. Um, and Moss and, the, Moss and I believe it was even Humphrey, uh, Moss and Humphrey to get the touchdown there. Pittman, man, I mean, if you, if you follow me and Michael on Twitter, we like to give each other a hard time uh, about the offseason uh, where Michael took me saying that I would love the Colts to help Pittman out a little more and get him a better running partner. Um, 
so he can become a receiver one eventually. Michael from day one said he thought he was ready right away, and I just didn't think that was the best method of play here. But I will say I think T.Y. Hilton getting hurt in a way has pushed Pittman into the point where he had to be the guy. He got to build the chemistry with Carson. And when T.Y. gets back, I'm not sure T.Y. is getting targeted more than Pittman. I, I, just, I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think Pittman is beating good corners. Um, he's winning reps against good corners, corners that I don't think coming into those matchups would have believed that he was going to come up, come up big in. Um, and he's that guy. I mean, when you, when you talk about run blocking, very few players when they come into the NFL, especially skill players, can get into the mindset to believe blocking is important. Um, it's, it's a tough thing that a lot of the bigger personalities in the league struggle with. You're not going to see an Odell Beckham being a heavy blocker. Uh, I mean, Eric Ebron came here and basically said he's here to catch balls, not block. He's a tight end. It's expected that tight ends block. But the Colts may have one of, if not the best blocking receiving groups. When you go through, um, I think Zach Pascal's a great run blocker. Um, Ashton Doolin. I think he just has that mindset, um, that undrafted mindset that kind of put him in there. He needs to do everything well to stay on a roster, and I think that's why he's still here is because he's one of, if not the best, run blocker on this team. I think Pittman had that aggression last year even as a run blocker. He was just very inexperienced in it. You could tell at USC he wasn't used that way a lot. He got, he got called for a few holding calls because he really didn't know how to keep engaging um, the defender in front of him. So – this year, I do think he's gotten smarter about it. He had that one holding call today um, where he he had a little lapse in judgment, um, got the guy on the side. They're going to get that call every time. But I agree. He's, he's taking that step as, that, as a run blocker. And the fact that he's able to take that step while also becoming a receiver one for the Colts, I don't know how you can not like Pittman, man. He has that dog mentality. He has that I'm going to be better than you mentality. Hard not to root for Michael Pittman, man. And hopefully one of these days, tweets about me not liking him will just go away because that's just not true. Well, hopefully in the offseason, somebody probably could have agreed with me a little bit more. I've been saying he's got that dog mentality. His father raised him well. He was raised around NFL talent. The practicing he did while his dad was at practice, after practice, after games, in training camp, he was already, he's been around the game his whole life. That's really one of the main reasons why I thought he was already ready because he's been around that grown man mentality his entire life. Um, and, and to keep on harping about Pittman, man, if you haven't realized it, look at the corners he's gone up against so far. Quandre Diggs, Jalen Ramsey, Janoris Jenkins, and a, a respectable corner. Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, and he's still performing like this? I don't know, man. That's a pretty good, uh, pretty, pretty good uh, production that he's shown so far. But, to you know, that's probably the only happy moment I'll have in this whole entire show so i'll go ahead and get that out now but another good was the pass blocking the offensive line in the second half rather because the first half jesus christ everybody was losing i wouldn't say everybody but eric fisher jesus christ man you got your ass handed to you like maybe on 15 plus plays getting beat badly 
uh, can't stay in front of everybody. You we're gonna get to the bad. We're gonna get to the We're gonna get to the bad, but to the good. Um, how about my boy representing TCU out there, Matt Pryor, out Massive there playing, man. moving, moving dudes out the way, pass blocking. Good. I thought, I thought I was watching Braden Smith. I just thought he got a, a tan and Whoa. grew like two more inches. But Whoa. hey, man, shout That's out to a, Matt Pryor. That might be a little bit of a stretch. I will say the difference between Pryor and Davenport is drastic. It's 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 just drastic. I think physicality. I think Pryor lost reps today. I'm not gonna say I think he went out there and played at like an all pro level or a, right, a right. guy <laughs> that I want starting every week level, even. But he chose his reps great today i really do think he i never saw a time when the play was going right if if carson needed to roll if the plan was for carson to roll out right if the run was to the right i never saw prior lose a rep in those situations and that is huge um for a reserve especially i mean if you're not going to be a guy that wins every single rep picking and choosing those situations to turn it up a little bit i like that I liked that from prior today. I did. And also, massive dude. Um, I, I don't see a way he's ever going to be a below average run blocker when he is that big of a man and is going to be able to move people like that. Prior over Davenport for the foreseeable future for swing tackle, um, I think that job needs to be announced. One, um, I saw last week they said that, that nobody has separated themselves. The separation's been made. That that's that's done. Cut the story. That, oh, I don't. Yeah, yeah I don't want to hear it. That's Pryor's job until Braden Smith's healthy, and then Pryor is the first to get in if left tackle or right tackle snaps are needed. Plain and simple. Shut the book. I don't care. Now, to the other reserve that's playing right now, who's pretty much been playing at a starter level since he came in, Chris Reed. Man, this dude moves people. I love him, his run blocking. I think his pass blocking is in the average to above average um, category. But he is an above average to great run blocker. I I like Lewinsky. I do. But Chris Reed makes me want – I don't want him to leave the field when Quentin Nelson gets back. I've, I've been against Quentin Nelson going to play tackle, but is that what needs to happen for Chris Reed? I want the best five out there, man. I want the best five out there. I don't. I don't care what has to happen. Hey, man. We keep talking about all oh, Ballard hasn't done enough to protect Wentz. Well, signing Reed, going and trading, literally what after the fifty-three man cuts were made or before? I can't remember. Right, right before. Right before, like literally a day or two before fifty-three man cuts were made, he goes out and trades. He attempted and he wanted this player. He went and got him. Now they put on these good performance on Monday Night Football. Stop saying Chris Ballard isn't doing enough, first off. Um, but, yeah, that's that's really all I have to harp on. Ryan Kelly had a much better game uh, than the last four, in my opinion, give, going up against freaking Calais Campbell and those boys up front. I thought he played pretty good. Um he still nicked up a little bit. He was down for a little bit, came back in the game. Of course, I don't think he even missed any offensive reps, uh, to be honest with you. So uh, moving on to uh, 
unfortunately the bad. We're getting into oh, the bad. We Moving have some good. The... Oh, wait. We yes, 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 yes. We're not going to talk about this too long, but Isaiah Rogers and Julian Blackman on the defensive side. I'm sorry, guys. I'm looking ahead already. Uh, Julian Blackman, Isaiah Rogers. Now, I will say this. When I saw Isaiah Rogers go down the way that he did on the sideline, I thought it was an Achilles, man. I thought it was the way he just fell down. He suddenly fell down after making a tackle, stood up and just fell down. I thought the worst had happened, but thankfully it didn't. I think again, he was on prime time. He was starting. I thought he contend. I thought he kept outside leverage pretty good on the boundaries. Of course, when he went out, when he was getting stretched out, when he did uh, get cramps, I definitely thought that his presence was missed, especially that speed on the outside. Um, but definitely a game by him. The tackling is improving by the game, by the play. Hell, just by the play, his tackling is improving. Julian Blackman coming downhill, nailing dudes. Uh, technically, here, here's my big thing as a defender. If you come down, and, and who was it that Julian Blackman came down and just nailed? I believe. Sammy Watkins, was, right? It was, Sammy that, Watkins, that was, that yeah. was the play he ends up getting hurt on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came down and nailed him, but he didn't even go down. So I don't even consider that a hit. You just basically just threw yourself at him for no reason, in my opinion. That but, As a former defensive player, you got to bring him down. But it ended up being a positive because when he hits him at the first down, Watkins stays up after getting thrown back about four or five yards. Um, I want to say the tackle ends up getting made. I, I don't even know who it was on the play. I'm not going to lie, who ends up bringing him down afterwards i want to say it was it was bobby um okarake I, I think it was bobby and xavier rhodes yeah so the tackle ends up being made and that ends up being a third down instead of a first down i mean they end up getting off the field afterwards but uh julian blackman man the, the biggest issue i had with him the first few weeks when i thought he was playing really poor was his he, his lanes man he, he wasn't he wasn't being a high Q safety, um, which is what they really used him heavily last year. Um, he wasn't making the right reads. He was coming down and just making the wrong read over and over and over again. Today, I feel like he was in the right place pretty much the entire game. And that's huge. That's huge for the defense. That's huge for Blackman as a young safety in the NFL. He just needs to keep improving on that area. But I do think he was a positive for the, for the defensive side of the ball today. Man, I, I think the biggest thing for him is that he was able to correct some of the mistakes he had earlier in the year. Um, he was able to figure it out. He was able to improve his tackling lanes where he really struggled early on this year. He really struggled. I think it was his biggest con throughout this first part of the season. And I think he came out today and he played really well. I think he was a bright spot for this defense today. Um, and I think it was a bright spot for him going forward. Hopefully um, we see him do it uh, at a more consistent rate. Um, but I definitely would say Isaiah Rogers and Julian Blackman today were a bright side on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, before we even get to the defensive side of the ball, now officially we're moving into the bad category. We wanted to start off the show a little bit, you know, nice and, you know, happiness, sunshine and rainbows. Well, now here comes everything bad that happened tonight, okay? So first off, uh, settling for field goals and a third and 11 play call. Now, 
I don't have a problem with settling for field. I, I, I really don't. Um, if, if I remember correctly, we didn't face any fourth and shorts, which is what led to these field goals, in my opinion. Um, definitely getting the field goal before halftime. Frank Greg was playing to win right there. Um, I can't I can't exactly remember which which drive it was. I think it was the second to last drive where it was like a fourth and 11. Frank Wright called a play. I can't remember who it was to. I literally just can't. I think it was to uh, Paris Campbell. They converted it on fourth and 11. It was big time. So, Destin, I'm actually going to hear from you on this one, man. What was What was bad about this? Personally, I'm always going to be on the side of – aggressive in those situations i just think settling for field goals is never going to be the way to win football games especially against good football teams now i don't have the biggest issue um with some of the field goal choices i mean the last field goal you you make that field goal and it's pretty much ball game um so i understand why they do it that's just a high chance of winning the game he ends up missing it now the field goal before that on third and eleven. I understand the reasoning. Like, I understand why there's a reasoning to run the ball. I do. I understand that you run the ball because the clock keeps running or they call a timeout. One of the two um, is a positive in your direction. But if you pass that ball, you're able – I mean, you, Carson's a smart enough quarterback. Frank's a smart enough coach. He understand, they understand that an incompletion can't happen, the sack can't happen. But go out there and – try to get the first down. I mean, that's what we see Kansas City do to put teams away. I mean, we've seen the Ravens do it to put teams away at times. I just think it was a lack of a stepping on the throat and twisting uh, mentality that kind of needed to happen there. Now, the quarterback sneak on the last one, that was just choosing a hash mark or six seconds. Um, they decided a throw to the end zone at either could take too much time or – they just didn't see the plus the pros outweighing the cons in that situation. They go to kick the field goal. He, he hits the field goal. They win the game. He ends up missing it. Um, he's a little hobbled. He hurt his hip um, pre um, during the first quarter. It sounds like at post game is what they say. But I mean, which goes into the next one, just the field goal unit leaving points on the field, seven points total, two missed field goals, one missed extra point today uh, from hot rod Injured or not, he, he's got to come up with those plays. I mean, it, it, it's the difference between a win and a loss right now, points-wise. Um, the last field goal obviously wins the game if he hits it. Uh, the extra point adds, adds one in the favor. Um, they're having to go for two multiple times. There's just so many things that had to happen for these Ravens teams to come back today. And the field goal unit being a con – that, that was a big one. That was a big one, Hot Rod, man. I, I even tweeted right before the game winner that could have been that if he hit that field goal, I was going to buy a Lego set for the first person who commented me that they had a kid. I was going to buy their kid a Lego set, and Hot Rod missed the field goal. Hashtag Hot Rod hates kids. Oh, man. Um, I don't know. I, I don't find it to be that big of a deal. Uh, the run play I thought would have been good if the line would have blocked, but I, I believe I tweeted out at the time. I think the run play is safe. Even if it's predictable, even if it's predictable, I think the Ravens knew 
that Jonathan Taylor was coming up the middle. Um, now, again, it would have made sense if a linebacker or a safety just came downhill and made the play, but it was Calais Campbell that made the play. He was a defensive lineman who needed to be matched up with Ryan Kelly or Mark Lewinsky, and he straight up beat him and got in the backfield. Um, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with running it there. Don't pass the ball. Don't create a chance to get a strip sack fumble, interception, tip ball, whatever the case may be. Just play it safe, especially in that situation where you know the clock is coming down. Even if they get a touchdown, you know you still have the lead. You know the the lead is not within striking distance anymore, given how much time was left in that situation. I'm perfectly fine with kicking the field goal. I don't have any, any issues now in terms of, you know, going for the win and everything. I definitely agree with it. Uh, if it's like, you know, a tie ball game or something like that, but in this instance, uh, what was it like four minutes left? You were already up a touchdown. You could have went up 11 points or so uh, still would have had, the Ravens to go two times, but what are the odds of them even recovering an onside kick or even if they did onside kick it? So I don't have the biggest um, problem with that here, but moving on here is our edge rushers, man, still, still not uh, getting much pressure on Lamar Jackson or the quarterback position. Now, let me just say this guys. No, it is not because Pay is out, okay? If Pay was in, it still would be the same story. It would still be the same story. Pay is not faster than Kamoko Toure. I'm not sure if he's stronger than Al-Kadim Muhammad, but guys, let's just not say Pay is the game changer in all this. He's a rookie. He's growing. He's developing. Come on now. Let's not put the weight of the world on this guy's shoulders. Kamoko Toure, in my opinion, I think he won a lot of reps. It's just getting home. It's just getting the guy down. Grover Stewart, of course, you're not going to get too much from him. Akadi Muhammad, I think, still had uh, a good game. Again, Lamar Jackson, just mobile. Uh, his presence for the pocket is getting better. DeForest Buckner, he's going to get double teamed, triple teamed almost every every drop back. So you're not going to get anything from him. Uh Tyquan Lewis had a good game. He had two sacks. Well, he had. He probably guy, ends up with one and a half. Probably, um, yeah. I think he split one with Alkadi Muhammad, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, so Tyquan Lewis did have a good game. I like the new neck brace that he had. You know, bringing back the old 1990s look. Um, I like the new neck brace that he had. It was it was a good game, but it would have been a good game against like Jacoby Brissett or Ryan Tannehill against this quarterback. Yeah, no, you got to get home. And these are the teams you're going to face in January. These are the teams you're going to face in mid to late January. And if you're not getting home, you're not getting it done in week five, then what makes us think you're going to get it done in January if you even make it there, if your lockers aren't already cleared out by then? So, again, another week, no pressure coming in. Lamar Jackson had a lot of time back there. Uh, to throw the football, to make decisions, hell, to even run. Hell, he could have ordered DoorDash and still would have got the throw off. And Chipotle would have been around the corner at in 20 minutes. So, again, Destin, talk to us about this uh, this lack of pressure. When you made the choice to roll with the young edge rushers, there was pros and cons to both sides. I was all for it just because – 
there was a higher ceiling in the approach than rolling back the Justin Houston's um, types. But there was always the situation you knew that the young guys were going to struggle to create that constant pressure. I think Kamoku Toure, um, if you look at his percentage rate of snaps he's getting, I think he's probably creating the most pressure consistently when he gets snaps. But he's getting the third most snaps at edge right now. And when he pays back, he'll probably be at fourth. Alquidi Muhammad, I think he's been really solid um, as a run stopper pretty much the entire season. And then he has sprinkled in some pass rush rep wins. Um, Taekwon Lewis, strong man. Um, won, he's won some reps here and there. But the issue is that they're not creating constant pressure. There's too many times where quarterbacks are getting just to sit in the pocket. That The fourth quarter, Lamar Jackson could have done his ta- – he could have did his taxes – um, he, he, he could have upgraded his, he could have re reinstalled some things on his computer. Like he had, he could, time. Have, built his, he could have built his own PC by the time a person was going to get there. And they, the Ravens are down starters on that offensive line. They lost a guard today. Shoot. They were playing a fullback and offensive line play today at times, um, because they're down players, but that constant pressure is still not there. Buckner, best guy out there, is being double teamed, triple teamed at times. So it's hard when guys around him aren't winning those reps because it, it makes it easier for offensive coordinators to call doubles and triples on him. Um, make the other guys beat you. And so far, they're not. And that, that has to change, whether it's Quiddy Pay, whether it's Kamoko Toure, whether it's Alquidi Muhammad, Taekwon Lewis, when Dio comes back if he plays this year. I don't, I don't care who it is. I don't. Um, do I want to see more of Toure? Yeah. Um, do I think Ben has even looked good in limited, even less snaps than Toure's seen? I, I do think Ben's looked like he's won some reps when he's not asked to be in coverage, which we'll talk about soon. Um, but they, they have to create constant pressure for this defense to work. If you're going to rush four at a constant rate, you, you have to get home with four, and, and that's not happening. Yep. I mean, we're, we're, we keep discussing it over and over. The pass rush was my one of my biggest, if not the biggest question I had coming into the season. It's costing us in a couple of games in some situations and situational football. Another the bad topic is Eric Fisher in the first half. Good Lord. Um, he got beat so bad by Adafe Owe, if you don't know who he is, not familiar with them, he was known as Jason Owe out of this year's draft out of Penn State. Uh, he is Odafe Owe now. He got beat so bad off the line that he started calling for offsides. And I went back and watched it a couple of times. He was not offsides. He really wasn't. Even fans on Twitter we're calling him offsides. No, he was not. His timing and his speed was just rock solid. I mean, we saw his athletic traits at Penn State. The athletic traits don't necessarily, I guess you could say, not surprise you and me, Destin, but the timing, the moves he's developed since he's gotten into the NFL, which has only been like, what, five months? Um, he's definitely coming along. So Eric Fisher getting just pistol whipped. He can't stay in front of his guy. Carson Wentz was getting pressured a lot. Uh, I mean, 
I, I, I've said it before, man. I mean, Eric Fisher, don't expect him to come back and be the savior of the offensive line. He'll come back and all the problems are fixed. No, he is still coming off an Achilles injury. He's losing some of that quick back step that he's used to having. All of that weight, all of that force that he uses in blocking, it comes from the calf muscle up the back into the pectoral muscle, the triceps, all of that. And if that calf isn't there, if that calf isn't all the way there, then he's going to lose. And it's still hampering him a little bit, trying to get back into the groove and try and get himself right. So again, he was bad, but I will give him his credit. In the second half, he bounced back. It was much, much better. But in the first half, man, it felt like Carson Wentz had no time to throw the ball. Yeah, make sure you guys follow Michael Terrazas, MD, on Twitter for your medical advice and injury updates. Uh, but other than that, I mean, the only positive thing I can say about Eric Fisher's first half situation is that I had to come into our show out, outline and edit it to say just first half. Um, and we're past the good, so I'll be very quick on it. But he improved. He did. Um, he, he was able to step up in the second half, and that's really the best thing I can say about him all day is that he improved his play. But, man, the first half, that, like you said on that snap, people were calling for an offsides. I watched it over and over again. No chance. Um, you're allowed to move as long as you do not cross that line. He doesn't. Um, his movement does not cause an offensive lineman to jump. Therefore, it's not any form of neutral zone infraction. It, it was a well-timed jump on his part blows past Eric Fisher. Just Eric Fisher did not know where he was blew past him on that sack. Ends up being a forced fumble because of it, the the lone turnover for the Colts on the day. The second sack that's going to end up getting credited to him, I will say in his defense, I blame on Wentz personally. Wentz has to be able to pre-snap recognize the extra blitzer that it was obviously showing blitz on that side being able to call for the extra blocker to come over in one of the tight ends that pre-snap you have to make that call you have to be able to read that out I knew he was blitzing so you he should have known he was blitzing just flat out now other than that I mean Eric Fisher's first half performance reminded me of the last two weeks he got bullied um speed rushes beat him power rushes beat him He, he wasn't winning reps Second half, I think he got a little more stout. Uh, I think watching a rookie whoop his tail in the first half put some fire under his feet. Um, he really did a w- solid job keeping defenders in front of him the rest of the game in both the run blocking and pass blocking department. Hopefully that second half rolls over for him. Uh, but, yeah, first half Eric Fisher, no go. Hey, man, to your MD comment, there's nothing wrong with a little education. All right? YouTube, check it out. All right. There's some good Michael, information on there. So you see, look in the camera and just say, stay in school, kids. Stay in school, kids. All right. Or just log on to YouTube and look up some medical videos. So, anyways, uh, now to get to my favorite part of the year, my favorite part of the show, the ugly. When I'm talking ugly, I mean, ugly i'm talking about my hair right now like ugly okay we are gonna talk about the defense most importantly we're gonna talk about matt eberflus's defense all right now destin i will give you plenty of time to have the floor but please let me have this dance with this idiot okay now 
I want to just ask a simple, simple question. If an opposing receiver on the other team runs nearly a 4-2-40, why in the hell would I put a defensive end in coverage to cover that guy in space in a one-on-one situation? Why would I do that? Because that's what Kamoko Toure and Ben Bandigou were in those situations. In those exact situations. Also, when you are literally have nearly a three-touchdown lead, we would think that you wouldn't go into a bend-but-don't-break. That's what you like to call it, Matt. You like to call it the bend-but-don't-break, but literally you're breaking and then just shattering. That's really what the defense is. You're breaking and then shattering. Not bend, but don't break. Because before, already three plays into a drive, you've already broke. I don't understand the concept. Because literally, Lamar Jackson, the last quarter in overtime, was the easiest sequence of his entire career. His entire career. It was the easiest. I, he wasn't sweating. He could have painted his daughter's toenails and still had time and still would have made a wide open throw. Wide open. Why are we emptying the middle of the field going one-on-one coverage? Because why? I I want to know why. They were in cover three. They were in quarters in some situations. But here's the thing. Even though those are different coverages, it's still the same concept that these players are asked to do. Allow everything in front. When you have a three-touchdown lead, you don't allow anything. You do not allow nothing. But here's what this team did. Just like what happened in Pittsburgh last year. Let everything happen. I don't understand allowing a 12-yard gain. Hey, they didn't get the big play. Next play, 15-yard gain. Oh, they didn't get the big play. Next play, nine-yard gain. They didn't get the big play. The big play is waiting inside the five-yard line. That's when you get six points. That's the big play. When you allow this whole entire – for four straight drives, I saw nothing but stupid coverages, stupid coverages, stupid play calling, stupid designs. It wasn't even creative. It wasn't even getting smart. It's like he went to my little brother, asked him for a defensive concept, and then put it in play on Monday Night Football. It's like a 13-year-old defensive concept. I don't understand what these players are supposed to do. The speed that this defense has, the talent this defense has, why in the hell are you making them play in space? Why are you making them back up and allow everything to happen? Why is that being allowed? Why? I don't why. Darius Leonard is one of the best linebackers, and you ask him, just step back, let him catch the 10-yard slant, and then tackle him. But guess what? He's got a bad ankle, so he's going to miss it and overrun his ankle. So instead of a 10-yard game, it turns into 27, turns into 17. I said it last year after Pittsburgh. I'm saying it again. I'm done with Matt Eberflus. Everybody wants to talk about Frank Reich. 
his play calling this, his play calling that. But when we, Dustin and I, brought up the injuries, you, y'all said no excuses. Y'all said it's his job to figure it out. Now the tables are turned. He, Matt Eberflus, experienced injuries. But now, somehow, it's still Frank Wright's job to figure out Matt Eberflus's damn job. That's what he gets paid to do. Not Frank. So where's the excuse making at now? Destin, take the floor. I'm going to just go out and say, impressive monologue from Michael Tarazas. Um, I knew he was. you were going to get a little angry. I knew you were going to get a little fiery. I think you held it back more than I expected you to, so I applaud you, while also being very clear that you're upset. I like it. I appreciate it. Now, I am over the system. I'm not going to sound as fiery as Michael. Um, I will say that I do not think like firing Eberflus tomorrow is the right play. I think, I think sadly we have to go out the entire season before making a switch. I just think you are going to create way too much change. You're going to create way too much of a ripple effect on the defensive side of the ball, especially when you're just going to promote somebody that's been in the system this entire year. That's going to call the same stuff for a year. Anyway, I think you wait the season out no matter what now. There are mistakes that happened today that I don't understand how people are okay enough to say they could blame the offense because, first of all, first thing I want to note, I counted two to three snaps where Ben Banigou was asked to play in coverage. I counted two snaps where Grover Stewart was asked to drop back in coverage. I saw Kamoko Toure, who's already getting limited snaps as a pass rusher, where he dropped back in coverage. In overtime, where if they score, you lose, Al-Qadim Muhammad, who is a power rusher, was asked to drop back in coverage. I was in awe. And not only was Al-Qadim Muhammad asked to drop back in coverage, do you know who he was put on? Mark Andrews, who was eating them alive the entire fourth quarter. I was in awe. I think this system is built to blow leads. Um, I think... The bend don't break is a good mantra. It's a good thing you can spread in the na- in the narrative, and you can tweet it, and you can live by it. But eventually, you can't say you're bending when you allow four straight touchdown drives with little pushback. The lead was gone before we knew it. And should the offensive have stepped on the throat and got in the end zone? Sure. But the defense didn't push back at all. And I think there was some execution problems by the player. Don't get me wrong. I think there were definitely mishaps. There were definitely there were issues with 
having fourth and fifth string corners on the field. Yep. Now the dumbest decision that Matt Eberflus made in the entire game. And I just mentioned dropping edge rushers in a, a one tech in coverage. The dumbest thing Matt Eberflus did in the entire game was we had Bo Pete keys in coverage tonight. And it's all good and dandy to blame having fourth and fifth string corners on the field. That sucks. It's going to be hard to withstand. I get it. Matt Eberflus put him on an island with Malcolm Brown. You mean Marquise Brown? Marquise Brown. I apologize. Okay. Marquise Brown. Put him on an island. One-on-one. This is your assignment. Wasn't he impressed, man, too? Yes. Jesus. And I was and I was in awe of that decision. And I get it. Make the excuse that fourth and fifth string corners on the field. That sucks. That is that's awful. But when you make the decision to not call your defensive scheme plays to show that you have those problems on the field and to try to help it. But instead you ask a guy to do something that was near impossible for him to do when he's not played the entire snap, this game, basically that's poor game management. That's just irresponsible coaching. And it's just flat out inexcusable. That can't happen. Um, I mean, all the reasons can come on my timeline. All the people can say that I am a Frank Reich homer. I don't care. If you left today's game and think this defensive scheme, it could work long term. I would just like for you to share with me what you saw to think that. And my DMs are open. I'm always willing to talk. I'm always willing to admit if I'm wrong. If you can bring a solid enough argument to me to, and talk about it, I'm I'm down to have that conversation. I'm not I'm not on private. I'm not I'm not hiding from anybody. Uh, I'm willing to have that conversation with anybody and everybody. But Matt Eberflus, man, it, I was at the point where I was hoping he would get a head coaching job because I really did hope the best for him. No team has given this man a head coaching job. The Colts have to make the decision to fire him at the end of the year if they want this to reset. And I, I, hope, I hope they make that decision. But, again, I do not think you can fire him mid-year. I, I don't think that is a way to rebound from a one-and-four start now. I, here we are. I agree because whoever you bring in might want to bring in a different defensive scheme, and you just can't teach that for three days a week already in week six or week seven or week eight, whenever they, if they were to make a change, I agree with it. We're going to have to go through, but all I know is that if I was Chris Ballard after every game away game, Matt Eberflus, find your own damn flight ticket back home. You ain't flying with the team. You just not. Cause there's nothing that you can teach them that I wouldn't be able to teach them. That's just, uh, and when I say I, I mean as if I'm Chris Ballard, not Michael Terrazas. I say it like that. And to Destin's point, when Bo Pete Keys was out there, there was no attempt 
at adjustments. There was no attempt to disguise coverage because in this scheme, you can't disguise a coverage. Lamar Jackson picked them apart. Six or I think it was 16 to 20 wide open passes in fourth quarter or overtime. Wide open. Is that Frank Reich's fault? And for those of you that said he got too conservative in the fourth quarter, need I remind you, I don't think the Colts punted at all in the fourth quarter. Do you, Dustin? That means every time they got the ball, they were in position to score points. But nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about the creative play designs, the route concepts that he was running, Carson Wentz executing. Now we're finally seeing execution. They were in after every answer, after every Ravens touchdown, they were in position. Wright got them in position to get points. Blankenship made one. One got blocked, and another was just missed. That's not Reich's fault. They did their job. Baltimore, Calais Campbell just made an amazing play. Credits to him. Phenomenal play. He's a gigantic human being. Credit to him. Oh, why would he send Rodrigo Blankenship out to kick a field goal? Um, have you ever heard of communication? The type of language barrier that human beings use on earth? Frank Reich asked Rodrigo Blankenship, are you good to go? No, not even Frank Reich. Bubba Ventrone asked him, you're good to go? Can you kick? Yes, coach, I can kick. Frank to Bubba, hey, is he good to go? Yeah, he's good to go. He said he's good to go. Great. That's how that goes down. Frank Reich doesn't see some broken hip MRI and say, you know what? You're still kicking the ball. That's not how that went down. So miss me with all the I blame Reich. No, this offense was in position to answer every touchdown Matt Eberflus' defense allowed. They came back and responded, especially that gutsy throw Carson Wentz made on the last drive on fourth and 11 to get that first down. That was insane. But no, we don't want to talk about that. It, it does seem like it's a week-to-week flip on the people that are against Reich right now that he's too conservative, he's too aggressive. It's, it's a fun flip each week to see like what the narrative is going to be with them. But I will push back a little bit, I guess. I do think there's a little bit of inconsistencies in Frank Wright's aggressiveness. Um, the fourth and 11 call, what the heck? I was confused. I didn't think there was a chance they were snapping that ball. I, I thought they were trying to get them off sides, try to see if they can get a field goal same, a little quicker. Same. When that ball snapped, I was at Texas Roadhouse watching with my dad. When they snapped that ball, my heart left my body. My heart left my body. I was like, holy crap, this is what's happening. They end up picking it up. And then Rigo comes up to kick a field goal from 42 yards. And I don't know what's going on. I think Hot Rod's having a Paul Pierce moment. He's in the locker room dropping a number two. Um, I don't know what to believe what's going on. He ends up coming out and kicking it, and they go up 10 to three at the half. But the third and 11 call, man, I just – I just wish – I keep going back to it in my head. I think Frank Reich 
had some mistakes in this game. I think it's tough to have a flawless game plan. I do. I think he had some flaws. I think he made some mistakes. I mean, he admitted in his press conference he wishes he could have that third and 11 back and that they could attempt to, to make that step on the throat. But he didn't. Now, if you ask me if Frank Wright put this team in position to win, yes. Going into this game, if, the, if, you, if you were told the Colts offense put the team in position to score 30-plus points, you would say the Colts won this game, right? A hundred, a hundred percent. Whoever's listening, like that's your answer. I, I can't imagine coming into this game. You thought 30 points would not be enough. And that's what Frank Reich did. This team was in position to be a 30 point plus team, 25 points on the board already, six point seven points left on the field, missed extra point blocked field goal, missed field goal, 31 points. They end up losing 31 to 25. Any of those points are on the board. Um, in the fourth, when the game's tied 25-25, the Colts win this game. Frank Craig put this team in position to win. I can't say the same thing about Matt Eberflus, and that is where my line's going to draw. I don't think Frank Reich's perfect. I don't think Frank Reich is above any criticisms. Um, I think he does have to get more consistent with his aggression. I think he needs to have a line, and he needs to stick by it. But if you truly believe after watching this game that Frank Reich lost this game, I – I just really don't know what to tell you. That, that, um, that's, that's, that's flat out. I just don't think it's possible. See, some, sometimes when our fan base says some ludicrous stuff, like I don't even know what they're talking about. Sometimes I really question the IQ. Um, and tweets like I'm like the one I'm looking at right now, and I'm not going to call anyone out. Not going to say they're at, not going to say their name, but there is a Colts fan on my feed asking, why haven't we brought up Marvell Tell? That's an actual question. Um, I'm not even going to elaborate more on that. I'm just making a point. Some of y'all are crazy. Uh, and I, I mean, agree. It, it's, it, it's, it's not a great feeling after losing no. that kind of game. No. I mean, I said earlier, if I had to pick one word to define that loss, it was heartbreaking. Very heartbreaking. And you know, when it came to, I'm talking like truly heartbreaking, like the life and enjoyment of this game gets sucked out. In my opinion. Now I can't speak for you, but that's, almost like how it was for me. Now, of course, I'll continue to watch this team. Technically, it's like my job, but um, I, I still love this team. The last time I felt like this, where I was hyped for this game, I was into this game, and my heart just got ripped out of my chest. The last time I felt about this way was 2018 when TCU dropped that game against Ohio State. They were going to win that game in too many mistakes, I was into that game, and I never felt the same in that 2018 year after that game. This game, I feel like it's almost similar. Like, the fandom in me got ripped out. Now, I'm pretty sure it's probably going to come back, but, man, I can't um, – I, I, I don't have anything else to say. It's not going to happen immediately. It's not going to happen in season, I don't think. But as soon as this season ends, whether if it's in the playoffs – or week 18, Eberflus needs to be given his ticket out of town. 
he, he needs to go. I'm tired of it. I'm tired. The personnel on this defense is too good, too physical, too fast to be asked to play this pathetic scheme. So that's all I have for this uh, th- this good, bad, and the ugly. Before we get out of here, Destin Adams has a special announcement that he wants to announce to all you guys out there. Yeah, I mean, this this has been a I, – I, I think if we had to choose – how this episode has been, I mean, it's it's not been an upbeat one. It's been a little depressing. Um, bad loss. It's hard to end on a good note, but that's what we're going to try to do here, guys. We have two tickets um, to the upcoming home game of the Colts versus the Texans. We have two tickets to give away to a lucky Colts fan. And this is how you're going to do it. If you want to enter for a chance um, for these tickets that we will look to give away um, we're going to try to give these away probably by Thursday at the latest. Um, I want you guys to DM the official at blue at the blue underscore stable account. DM the word heartbreaker um, as well as screenshot proof that you have subscribed to the pod wherever you're listening to podcasts and subscribe on our YouTube channel, please. And send proof of that and you'll be entered to win those tickets. We'll announce the winner by Thursday at the latest. And one of you will be walking away with two tickets to the Texans game where hopefully the Colts are able to rebound after this loss. Um, because how you respond to these kind of losses mean a lot to you as who you are as a football team um, and who, kind of just who you are as a man sometimes character-wise. you got to be able to take these losses and improve. So we, we really hope that whoever gets these tickets is able to see a Colts win next week. But DM the code word heartbreaker to at the blue underscore stable with a screenshot proving that you've subscribed to the podcast and the YouTube and, and you're entered to win, guys. Man, get those tickets real quick. I wouldn't even blame you if you don't want to see this team. I wouldn't blame you. But get those tickets immediately. You know you are speaking some facts when you put your phone down for an hour and come back to 102 Twitter notifications. That's crazy. Um, So I got to look through these, probably put some people in check. But other than that, please, please, please subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you listen to this show. Thank you for listening to our moping our groaning our our anger on this show guys i hope we are feeling the same way sharing the same emotion hope we said some things for you guys today shout out to rashad he's going to be back with us later this week couldn't record tonight though but we said a lot for you i know that um again guys shout out blue stable official Colts podcast of fan-sided thank you again we will see you next week Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.